0: Greetings, film pals. I bid you welcome to The Cinematic Crypt, a motion picture podcast hosted by Movie John's old sport and classic Corner, Rosalie Kicks, otherwise known as Betzina Belfry. Each episode, I travel six feet under and pry open a coffin of one of my favorite Hollywood corpses and perform a post-watch examination of one of their forgotten films. Lend me your ears and listen along as I summon the spirits of Hollywood's dearly departed and uncover your next favorite film from the grave. Before we descend into the crypt, I will begin with reading my obituary, a notice of what I have been up to since we last spent time together. Goblins and ghouls. I have been keeping pretty busy over the past couple months. If you have not visited moviejohn.com in a while, make sure to check it out as I shared many of the flicks I caught during the 2023 Sundance Film Festival, as well as my thoughts on some recent movie releases, such as Scream 6. I've also been working on the spring 2023 print edition of Movie John, which will feature films inside the squared circle, from boxing to wrestling. I'm excited for this one to end up in your hands, crypt dwellers. For my article, I watched the 1926 silent flick Battling Butler, starring Buster Keaton. You can subscribe for delivery of MovieJohn at moviejohn.com shop, and that's M-O-V-I-E-J-A-W-N, where you can also purchase single issues. But the best way to stay in the loop on all things MovieJohn and support your favorite movie pals is to become a Patreon supporter. Tiers start at $3 a month, and you can visit Patreon.com slash moviejohn and become one of our movie pals today. Lastly, you may notice some changes around here with the format of the show. The quality of the cinematic crypt is of utmost importance to me. Your favorite little gravedigger, however, sometimes gets bested by the clock. Tonight, we won't be making a pit stop in the cemetery for Grave time. But don't fret, goblins and ghouls. There will be future field trips to visit our horror hosts in the afterlife. There's no sense dwelling on our losses. Instead, I'll continue lighting the lights and following the formalities. (laughs) Mwah.
1: Do you believe in ghosts? Of course not. I knew you didn't. Noise is the mortal enemy of good motion picture making and television broadcasting. That is why I hired this particular house. It is deathly quiet. (coughs) Most of the time. And its reputation for being haunted keeps away the curious. The shifting of scenery also seems to be better here. The human element has been removed. So if you will just lean back and relax, I'll tell you a little ghost story. Please don't hesitate to turn out your lights. I'm sure the warm glow from the picture tube will be sufficient to melt all your fears of the dark. Before we view with alarm, allow us to point with pride.
0: And now
2: our feature presentation.
0: All right, film pals. Time to grab your cape and get uncomfortable. It is time for our regularly scheduled spooky program. Follow me, but watch your step as you descend down to the cinematic... crypt. (laughs) Today's episode will mark the second entry in the series, Double Trouble. Over the course of this series, I will examine four flicks in which there is not one but two characters that the actor portrays. No need for the double take. Your eyes did not deceive. When it is double trouble, it is sure to be twice as fun. This episode will feature the 1946 motion picture, The Dark Mirror, directed by Robert C. Odd-Mac and starring Lou Ayres. Thomas Mitchell, and our corpse of interest, Olivia de Havland. Pull up a chair, creepies, and join me in the crypt for this examination. The Dark Mirror is considered a psychological film noir in which Olivia de Havland plays twins Terry and Ruth Collins. I love the poster tagline advertising Twins, one who loves and one who loves to kill. How marvelous! The film opens with the sound of a clock ticking, tick tock, tick tock. The camera pans to a lamp on a floor, broken mirror, and a body with a knife sticking out of the back. Goblins and ghouls. There is no perfect way to kick off a movie than to start with a good old fashioned. Murder.
2: Sit down, please. Oh, uh, what was the man's name?
3: Doctor Frank Peralta.
2: Doctor Frank Peralta. All right, what happened?
3: When I went in this morning to clean up, it was about half past seven. There he was, just laying there.
2: You live at the same address, I believe, Mr. Benson. That's right, same floor. And you saw Dr. Peralta last night? Around 10 o'clock. He was coming in, I was going out. Was he alone? No, he had a young lady with him. You know the young lady? Never saw her before. Very pretty, very nice looking. Remember what she was wearing? Some kind of a blue suit, and flowers in her hair. Gloves? No, I don't think so. But I don't remember exactly. They were going in up to his apartment, presumably. That's what I assumed, of course. Mm-hmm. And that was about 10 o'clock? Around 10. Think you'd know her if you saw her again? I think so. We met. Face to face. I see. What do you know about it, Mrs. Dietrichson? Well, I live in the apartment just under Dr. Peralta. About ten thirty five last night I heard this thud on the floor above my ceiling. How do you know the time so well? I just turned on the ten thirty news. I heard footsteps on the stairs outside, so I opened my door a bit and looked
0: out. <laughs> I was curious. With a dead body brings Lieutenant Stevenson to the scene who begins an investigation. Stevenson is played by Thomas Mitchell, which for me is most memorable as Scarlett O'Hare's father in the 1939 motion picture Gone with the Wind. I also recall him as Uncle Billy in the 1946 movie It's a Wonderful Life. When you see him pop up, creepies, I guarantee you'll remember him from a flick as he is one of the most prolific character actors of the time and managed to appear in some of the most renowned pictures of the 20th century. In fact, Thomas won a Best Supporting Actor Oscar for his portrayal as Doc Boone in the 1939 John Ford motion picture Stagecoach. As Lieutenant Stevenson, he is the lead detective on the murder case, and through his interrogations, learns from two witnesses that the corpse, Dr. Frank Peralta, was last seen with girlfriend
2: Teresa Collins. Do you know where she lives?
0: No, but I can tell
3: you where she works. She runs a magazine stand in the lobby of the medical building, where Dr. Peralta's offices are.
1: Where?
2: Mrs. Davidson, you go first. Just look around, see if you see anybody you know. In the middle years, but not a bad little number at that. Keep your mind on what you're doing, will you? You go out with me and I'll buy you a steak. Good enough for me. I ain't kidding.
3: Neither am I. Thank you.
2: When I get out of this monkey suit, I ain't such a bad looking guy. Benson, you go.
4: That's the girl, all right, behind the counter. You're sure of it? Well, pretty sure.
2: Pretty sure. Won't you swear to it?
4: I think so. Still, there's
3: something. Yes, I'll swear to it.
2: Well, I hope you'll remember that.
4: Don't you remember me?
0: Sure, if you want me to.
4: I remember you, all right.
0: The Lieutenant Finds Terry Collins, played exquisitely, by Olivia de Havilland. Carrie works at a magazine stand in a medical building. And well, creepies. I so wish these sorts of little stands still existed. They are so few and far between these days. But how I would love to be able to go to the counter and find an eclectic array of magazines and some exotic candies. Through his pesky questioning, the lieutenant learns that Terry has a solid alibi for her whereabouts during the murder. All of this stress, though, causes Terry to pass out. Even with her fainting, the lieutenant just can't believe that this is not his killer, especially since he has multiple people claiming that it is indeed the last person they saw with Dr. Frank. Shortly later, the lieutenant decides to drop in on Terry at her apartment, where he finds a shocking surprise.
3: How are you feeling now? All right, thanks.
2: It sticks, you know. It sticks? The alibi. Oh, well, of course. It's the truth. That butcher now. He couldn't be in love with you. No. The cop might. Another guy, but not the butcher, I don't think...
3: I don't think so either.
2: Guys generally fall in love with you, don't they? Some. Peralta?
3: He was a very dear friend. Very dear.
2: Why'd you quarrel with him? The elevator boy heard you yesterday.
3: It wasn't a quarrel. We just differed about something. Rusty never liked him. Oh. Jealous? You
2: think Rusty might have killed him? Why? Well, he was in love with you too, wasn't he?
3: For a policeman, you certainly spend a lot of time thinking about love.
2: Yeah, I'm the romantic type.
3: Thanks. You left-handed? Excuse me, is this visit social or professional?
2: You gave the doctor his lemon drops with your right hand.
3: I was born left-handed. Most of the things I've learned to do since I do right-handed. I didn't like being left-handed. The
2: medical examiner figures he was stabbed right-handed.
3: What am I supposed to say to that?
2: I'm just waiting to see.
3: If you don't mind...
2: We'll break it, you know. This alibi. It may take time, but I'll figure it yet for dough.
3: If you don't mind, I'd like you to leave. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. You and your... Sherry?
2: So that's it.
3: My sister, Ruth.
2: Why didn't you tell me?
3: Excuse me. I was going to when the time came. Everybody knows it, so there wouldn't have been much use to try to hide it.
2: Not at the medical building, they don't
3: know it. No, not there. That was so we could take days off when we wanted to. When we didn't have another job.
2: Do you make a habit of that kind of monkey
3: business? All twins do now and then.
0: Well. This is it, Creepies. Double Trouble. The Twin Reveal. I love the nonchalant answer to the Lieutenant's question regarding, do you make a habit of that type of monkey business? And the response of, all twins do, goblins and ghouls. This makes me think of the type of mischief that I would get into if I had a twin. There would be shenanigans and escapades for sure. However, the idea of murder didn't even cross my mind as a possibility. Unlike our previous set of twins in the last episode, these twins are somewhat inseparable. They are identical and often share the same job, so they are able to switch places for their own benefit. A little bit of crisscross. They don the same clothes, wear their hair in the same style to ensure that they go undiscovered. However, there are some subtle ways to tell them apart. For one, Terry is consistently left-handed and smokes, while Ruth does not partake in the filthy habit. The discovery that there are two makes the lieutenant once again believe that his initial hunch was right and his killer is right in front of him. The only problem is, which one is guilty?
2: You're only making trouble for yourselves, you know, it'll be all the harder for you in the end. How? Because you can't get away with a gag like this, it's... It's It's what? Look, will you cut this nonsense out and be sensible? A man was murdered, you know. I'll give you one more chance now. And this time, let's see if we can get somewhere. Which one of you stayed home here last night?
3: One of us spent the evening in Jefferson Park and the other... But what
2: one did which is what I'm asking. Which one did which? I'll just have to run you both in.
0: Are you allowed to play the field like that? The lieutenant decides to take them both downtown, but unfortunately, the two of them play it cool as cucumbers, not revealing which of them has the true alibi. As the picture goes on, the lieutenant gets more frustrated, and can't stand the fact that these women may have committed the perfect crime, with no evidence he has no choice but to let them go. And just when he thinks he doesn't have any other options, he decides to seek help from a doctor. And not just any doctor, but a psychologist that specializes in twin studies, a self-proclaimed twin expert.
2: Ever given any thought to this twin case? I suppose you'd given that one up. Mm -mm. No, not me. Not me personally. This is on my own time. You don't look ambitious. It's not ambition. I'm just peculiar. I don't like a perfect crime, not even in books. I don't like to think things are organized that
4: way, so somebody can beat a square rep. Yes, I've thought about it. I rather like those girls. Oh, one one of them, anyway. She seemed very nice.
2: You don't know which one? No, I'm afraid not. I never had a chance to talk to them together. you think you'd know if you did? I imagine so. You couldn't tell that day in the DA's office, could you? No. You see, the whole thing just burns me to a crisp. Why? How do you know somebody else didn't do it? I don't. In the meantime, I'll play along with the twins, at least one of them. Do you realize, Doc, that one of those girls could knock that guy off in the corner of Broad and Main with 50 witnesses and we still couldn't hang it on her? Oh, I guess not. I could be in that room myself and see her plant that knife with my own eyes. And do you know I couldn't make it stick unless I grabbed her by the wrist and held onto her until I had her in solitary? I just can't bear it, I tell you. I can't bear it. So? So, first, tell me this. You're a twin expert. Do you know anything whatever about those two dames that would give me a chance to begin to work? Well, sure.
4: What? The crime. The crime? Well, of course. You don't suppose just anyone could commit a murder, do you?
0: Even as a twin expert, Dr. Scott Elliot, played by Lou Ayers, has his work cut out for him. For even he can't tell the Collins sisters apart. With the police seeking his help, Dr. Elliot concludes that the only way he will be able to tell them apart is if he spends more time with them, and asks them if they would be willing to take part in a study.
3: Well, he knows. He must have read the papers everybody else did. I know, but... Well, then maybe my idea... That is the
4: real reason why I'm here. Maybe of some good to you as well as me.
3: How do you mean?
4: Well, I'd like to add you two to my collection of twins. Well, I'm the old twin student, remember? I'd like very much to add you girls to it. Well, i pay you something. Of course not much, but... it'll only be an hour or so each day at your own convenience.
3: We did that once when we were kids in Chicago. Well, then
4: you know generally what it is. Physical, verbal, psychological, the standard stuff.
3: Are you quite sure you're not doing this for the police?
4: I was gathering data on twins before I ever met a policeman. I was doing it long before I laid eyes on either of you girls. What's been my main preoccupation in research for years. I'll probably still be doing it after you're both married and settled down with twins of your own, uh, which you're very likely to have, you know.
0: Something I love about Ruth and Terry is their ensembles. As I mentioned previously, the sisters tend to wear identical clothing, but have accessories donning their name to assist with telling them apart, at least when they want to. Such items they sport are necklaces with their name or lapel pins with the first letter of their name. Even without the identification, I feel as the viewer, as the movie continues, you are able to differentiate between them for their personalities are like night and day and they do start to shine through. This is clearly seen with the twins' reaction to being asked to participate in Dr. Elliot's study Ruth is concerned that the Doctor may figure out their secret about the murder, and is clearly the more meek of the two. While Terry is fearless, and sees this opportunity as a game, and can't wait for the antics, she also happens to be smitten with Mr. Lemondrops.
4: What do you think, Doc? Really? No idea, Rusty. It's hard to believe she could have done such a thing. Oh, she didn't. I know she didn't. Those guys are crazy. Uh, You better have a lemon drop. Good for the nerves.
0: Inevitably, the tests include the famously known rorschach inkblot tests, lie-detecting tests, and word games of sorts. Now, as for the Rorschach test, this may seem like old hat by now, but it was somewhat fascinating in the 1940s. Created by Hermann Rorschach in 1921, the tests were said to assist with diagnosing schizophrenia, but it was not until 1939 that they would start to be more utilized regularly as a general personality test. It is said the way that the test was administered in the film was rather accurate, including the way that Dr. Elliot calculates each of their scores.
4: What's this one? These are pictures of ink blots. Actually, the kind you probably made yourself when you were a child. Just blobs of ink and the paper folded over. What's it for? It's another way of examining personality. I'm going to hand them to you one by one. And all you have to do is tell me what you see there. What it looks like to you. Quickly? If you see it quickly, sure. As soon as you make something out of it, you tell me, that's all. You ready? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, face that way, please. what does it look like to you?
3: It might be a mask. You see? The black slanting holes for eyes, heavy eyebrows and pursed lips give it a fixed expression.
4: Anything else?
3: May I turn it?
4: Any way you wish.
3: Mm. This looks like the face of a white lamb with a black nose. It's got a mark on its forehead. It looks like a moth, spreading its wings over a butterfly. Beneath its front paws are two men, face down, with their arms outstretched. It all seems symbolic of something. The lamb looks so innocent. But it has two men under its paws.
4: Symbolic of what?
0: The Lamb of Death through the course of their time spent with the doctor. It is revealed that the two were orphans as children, and at one point they were almost adopted, but the family only wanted Ruth and not Terry. The doctor finds that through his tests and discussions with the ladies, that Ruth is a kind soul, loving and caring, while her sister Terry, although extremely intelligent, is also mentally disturbed. Of course, it does not take long for a rivalry between the sisters, as the great doctor seems to be falling for Ruth. This infuriates Terry, as she is the one that had her eye on Mr. Lemon Drops, and she is tired of being passed over time and time again. Terry's emotional turmoil causes her to start gaslighting her sister Ruth. A moment in which Terry's soundness is questioned is after she takes a word test with the doctor and returns home. Ruth is appalled by the answers given by Terry and is concerned that her sister will be found out and may have actually committed murder. The dynamics of these two characters showcases just how amazing of an actor Olivia de Havilland was. To be able to portray such a spectrum of emotions is quite a feat, and she seems to do it with such ease.
3: Ready? Dark. Night. Moon. Beams Knife. Scissors. White. Black. Mirror. Death. King. Queen.
4: Blossom.
3: Flower. River. Lake. But how could you have said it? How do I know? It just popped out. But I don't understand all this fuss. What possible harm can it do? None. None whatever. I don't give two cents for that fellow in his kindergarten games. I can do that stuff 24 hours a day, 7 days a week and beat him at it every time. He doesn't frighten me with that stuff. It's you I'm worried about. But why? Because it shows your mind still on that thing, and you can't deny it. When he said mirror and you automatically said death, that proved it. It may not mean a thing to him, but it does to me because I understand some of that mumbo jumbo, and it's a dead giveaway that it's still in your mind and I had something to do with it.
0: Well, speaking of death, I think it is time, my creepies, to pay a visit to our village doctor, which means... It is time for a trip to the morgue. Crypt dwellers, let's take a spooky intermission of sorts to pay a visit to the morgue, shall we? To chat cadavers with my fellow classic coroner, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers. Together, we shall slice open and examine character actor Lou Ayers, an actor who specialized in playing eccentric and unusual people.
5: Let's all go to the mark. Let's all go to the mark. Let's all go to the mark to cut ourselves
0: a corpse. Yoo-hoo! Anyone home? Oh! Good
5: evening. I almost didn't hear you. Do. Come in.
0: Come in. Oh, there you are. It sounded so quiet. I was concerned that you may have checked out. Oh, no, no, no. I was just listening
5: to music on my headphones. You know, how the youths are in such a tizzy about Dracula Elvis and all that. But I'm young at heart, you know. And today I actually have a lab assistant with me, so I'm having to drown out the sound of their noisy experiments.
0: Oh, that that's absolutely splendid. You taking someone under your wing like that. Not yeah, quite. Well, today I have brought such a wonderful specimen for you. I think you shall really take a liking to this one. Well,
5: you know, I'm always intrigued to find out who it is, as long as they're not
0: wearing a graduation gown. I promise you, old chap, I shall not be bringing Kay back, but I can't control if he decides to drop in on his own accord. (laughs) And as for today's corpse of interest, it just so happens to be someone that you share several affinities with. Lou Ayres.
3: Why, Mr. Lemon Drops!
4: Well, it couldn't be anybody but Terry. How
3: oh, are you, Doc? Glad to see you. Thanks. You two over here. Thanks. Still chomping on that cast iron candy.
4: Oh, I've told you before, I don't chomp them, I wear them down.
5: Ah, Lou. Mr. Sometime Ginger Rogers.
0: Ah, uh, yes, yes. So you do know of him? Mm hmm. Well, I'm in a bit of a stabby mood this evening, so let's get to slicing.
5: Oh yes, let's get him up here on the table. Okay, a please. Let's begin with discussing the five characteristics that made this particular corpse a character. Number one, his sincere eyes. Number two, his comforting demeanor. Number three, his devious smile. Number four, the fact that he was frequently known to play a doctor. And number five, his musical background.
0: I have not seen many of this cadaver's motion pictures, but I had to bring him for a visit today due to his propensity to so often play a doctor. And with you being a certified doctor and all, I just felt that you both had to meet, like a meeting of the minds.
5: Well, I do really appreciate that. You know, it's a tough road, the path of a doctor. Believe
0: me, I know. Well, what did you think of his portrayal in The Dark Mirror? Did you find it to be accurate?
5: Well, he was a very good doctor. I have to say, I got a kick of how he was a twin expert. And he's the author of an actual book called... Twins, a clinical study, yet he seemed to be totally mystified about actual twins.
2: Quite a coincidence, Doctor. Uh, Quite. Scott Elliott, psychologist, B.A., M.D., and Ph.D., author of Twins, a Clinical Study, Mental Traits of Identical Twins, Twins and Siblings, all published by the State University Press.
4: Your own particular field, in fact. Well, I have devoted quite some time and study to the subject. Did you know there were twins in this case? No. One at a time, twins look a good deal like, uh, like singletons. Incidentally, is there any foundation
2: for the old popular belief that twins are usually penalized in some way by nature, either physically or psychically? No, no, that's a superstition. Well, that clears that up.
5: So, I mean, it just goes to show you being a doctor doesn't mean that you know everything. They also seem to be somewhat obsessed with lemon drops.
0: I actually enjoy lemon drops. I don't think they're a bad candy. Do you like them?
5: I'm always scared that I'm going to swallow them. I don't trust myself. <laughs> Get stuck in the throat.
0: Well, I found it quite fascinating that he made a career out of being a twin expert. It's very interesting indeed. And did you know that as a child, he actually wanted to be a doctor? Once he left high school, he actually left before graduating to start a band. They traveled a bit through Mexico. And when he returned to the States, he instead pursued acting, but he still played in bands playing the banjo and a guitar. And I feel like you and Lou would have been besties.
5: Uh, You know what? I agree. In fact, I'd like to make an album with Lou. I think it should be called Twins, a musical study. And all the musicians should be twins.
0: Wow, that would be quite something. Now, would you go out on the streets and procure these twins, or would you just clone them? I remember you were into cloning.
5: Ah. That's a very good idea.
0: That would make it a lot easier
5: to find a band.
0: Yes. And with your musical talents, I could only imagine this would be masterful. Thank you. I came across his obituary that appeared in the New York Times, and it mentioned how often he played doctors. The eulogy actually went on to say, in Donovan's brain, in 1953, he mixed two worlds. He was a doctor who was transformed into a fiend.
2: Lou Ayers, as the scientist who discovered that the human brain can survive bodily destruction, can continue to function as a dynamo of living thought, generating a mental power greater than the science of man. Gene Evans, as his assistant, sharing the burden of a terrifying knowledge with ever-increasing fear and hatred.
4: Stop it! Mr. Donovan intends to dominate the international financial scene. And a fatal accident will occur to all who happen to stand in his way. Steve Brody is the reporter
2: who probed too deeply into the beyond and received the full impact of its deadliest forces.
4: Donovan engineered it.
1: And the same thing could happen
3: to us. Donovan could kill us the same way he killed Yoko. That's right.
4: And it's too dangerous to wait any longer. Frank! Surprised? Thanks to Dr. Patrick Corey, Donovan's brain will live, thrive, and continue to grow far beyond the body of Dr. Corey. Is already able to exist in anybody, anywhere it will. Knowing this, you now know too much. Nancy Davis, as the woman who was compelled to submit to
2: the brain's satanic vibrations of evil.
0: And... I need to watch this movie. I didn't even know anything about it.
5: Mm, yeah, I've heard of this movie, but I haven't seen it. But apparently, the brain in question gained psychic powers after being preserved in some scientific brain juice type solution. Ah, it sounds like a must see.
0: Oh, wow. Yes, I agree. Not only for entertainment purposes, but also for research. hmm I happened to dig up how his acting career kicked off. If you recall, one of our previous character corpses was discovered at a soda shop counter. And, well, Lou happened to be found at a nightclub by a talent agent and would then be cast to play opposite Greta Garbo in the 1929 motion picture, The Kiss. And I love learning how these people were found in Tinseltown. Mm -hmm. Like, I really hope that the next time, maybe I'm in line at the grocery store and someone comes up to me to make me a star.
5: You know what, you just never know what might happen. I mean, that's how I was given my doctorate degree after all.
0: Really? You must share this story sometime with the crypt dwellers. I'm sure it's quite fascinating. Well, as for Lou, he found fame after his role in 1930, All Quiet on the Western Front, which was actually the film he made right after The Kiss. It was this portrayal that brought him much attention and quite a number of flicks following where he played a young doctor. However, it was his objection to World War II that he found himself a Hollywood outcast. Apparently, he spent a lot of his career because of this in constant revival of sorts. It was marked with highs and lows, and he said in regard to this, a fellow's never through till he quits trying. Hmm.
5: Hey, you know, I love that because that's what life is, dualities. It's impossible to have the good without the bad. The tough times can help you grow and appreciate the good times. So, to be willing to go along for the ride, whatever comes, just like Lou was, that's a wise person.
0: Yes, yes, I agree, Doctor. And in 1948, he ended up back on top and was nominated for an Oscar for his portrayal as yet another doctor, Dr. Robert Richardson, in the film Johnny Belinda. And this movie sounds pretty heavy. It The synopsis read, a kind doctor volunteers to tutor a deaf-mute woman, but scandal starts to swirl when his pupil is raped and falls pregnant. Mm, yeah. There's that word again, heavy. That one has
5: been on my watch list for some time.
0: Yeah, I, again, didn't know about it till I was looking into him a bit further, but it's definitely one I want to check out. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, old chap, how did Lou die? Well, Lou passed
5: away at the age of 88 on December 30th, 1996, in his home, after being in a coma for several days. He now makes his home six feet under at Westwood Memorial Park, in los angeles california
0: wow a coma for several days i always wonder if people can hear when they're in a coma you know how to find out oh
5: you gotta watch the soaps (laughs) that's where i learned all my medical knowledge
0: really Quite interesting. Well, I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. Until next time, I hate to slice and run, but I have a pie in the oven at home and some magic tricks to learn. So let's
5: grab the blankie. Okay. Well, good night, Dr. Lou. Sleep tight. Uh, I'll be sure to summon you when I'm ready to record our album.
0: Good night, doctor. <laughs>
5: uh.
2: And now, on with the show.
0: Welcome back, my creepies. I hope you enjoyed the brief intermission to the morgue. We return for the conclusion of my examination of the dark
4: mirror. I didn't promise you a great deal more, remember? All I can say positively is that Ruth didn't do it. She simply isn't capable of that sort of thing. That I know. That does narrow it down a bit, though. Terry's a paranoic. Paranoic has no more conscience, no more sense of right and wrong than, than a two-year-old. Paranoic's capable of anything.
0: Of course, Dr. Elliot reports his findings to Lieutenant Stevenson, who recommends that the doctor inform Ruth immediately. The doctor contacts her, Well, at least he thinks he does, and requests her to visit him at his apartment that evening. After hanging up the phone, Ruth coincidentally shows up at the door, which of course, and fortunately proves to the doctor that it was Terry he was speaking with, not Ruth. This leads to an amazing scene in which Terry does indeed show up at the doctor's apartment, and it is here that he realizes that the dead man Dr. Peralta was under their spell, not realizing they were twins, suspecting that similar to Dr. Elliot, Peralta may have been seduced by Terry, but it was Ruth that he loved.
4: I hope I didn't alarm you with all that urgency and mystery.
0: No, I was just puzzled that you felt you had
3: to have some excuse. I'd have come anyway, you know that. Sit here.
4: But it wasn't an excuse. I was quite serious. It's something I thought we should discuss right away, privately.
3: But has it got to be tonight? Oh, I'm
4: afraid so, dear. It's quite important. It's about Terry.
3: You don't like Terry, do you?
4: Of course I like her. But what? But... But I love you.
3: Why? Why
1: do I love you?
3: Why me and not her? That's something I'm very curious about. Why did you choose me instead of her? We're so much alike. What was it you thought you saw in me that you didn't see in her? How can I answer that?
4: All I know is that you're the one I fell in love with.
3: What else do I have to know? Am I better looking than she is?
4: Well, to me, you are, of course.
3: Don't laugh. I'm serious. I want to know what you think the difference is. For instance, kiss me.
0: This is another scene in which Olivia shines just showcasing her abilities. The way she is able to dial it up as Terry and then tune it down as Ruth is incredible. And clearly, the motive of the doctor is just to get Terry riled up in hope that she will make her move. While Terry is at the doctor's apartment, he receives a phone call from Lieutenant Stevenson, and in this moment, Terry considers stabbing him with a pair of scissors, but instead controls herself in order to hear what is being discussed on the phone.
2: Hello. Speaking. Have you still got that Terry there with you? Well, could you bring her over by yourself, or do you want me to send the wagon? Just a minute. Who is that? A guy from the hospital. I'll be with you in a minute. Sorry, Doc, but I'm afraid i got bad news for you. I got nervous after I left you, and I decided to come over here and take a look for myself. I hate to have to tell you this, but when I got in here... What?
4: No. All right, Stevenson, I'll be right over. Ruth's dead. She's killed herself.
3: Does that surprise you?
0: Creepies. The ending of this movie is absolutely wild. And well, I believe you need to experience it yourself. I will, however, leave you with this closing line, which is quite something.
4: And now will you answer one question for me?
3: What?
4: Under the circumstances, you're going to say it's impossible, of course, but why are you so much more beautiful than your sister?
0: Based on a short story by Vladimir Posner that originally published in Good Housekeeping in 1945, it was Nunna Lee Johnson, a writer and producer, that snapped up the rights to the story and quickly adapted it. The film, The Dark Mirror, would go on to be directed by Robert C. Oddmack and released on October 18, 1946. The Dark Mirror would end up being the first picture released under the Universal Pictures International Picture Banner. At that time, Olivia de Havilland was considered a top-tier star. In fact, it would be in 1947 that she would receive her first Oscar for Best Actress in the 1946 film to each his own, after being nominated by the Academy twice prior in 1942 and 1940. She would later go on to be nominated once more in 1949 and take home the Best Actress Prize in 1950 for her role in The Heiress. Prior to making The Dark Mirror, she had recently sued Warner Brothers to exit her contract and free herself of studio control. She had said at the time, I wanted to do complex roles, like Melanie, for example, and Jack Warner saw me as an ingenue. I was really restless to portray more developed human beings. Jack never understood this and he would give me roles that really had no character or quality in them. I knew I wouldn't even be effective." When The Dark Mirror was made, Olivia had been experimenting with the idea of method acting. For those unaware, this is a technique that encourages the actor to portray the character sincerely, be expressive, dig into the character's inner motivations and emotions. This is accomplished by essentially bringing the character into their lives. Due to this, Olivia encouraged, and well, frankly, demanded that everyone on the Dark Mirror cast meet with a psychiatrist. During the 1940s, Hollywood had a brief obsession with pictures such as this, stories that showed the portrayal of psychoanalysis being used as a treatment method. Other films of note showcasing this are Leave Her to Heaven, Spellbound, and Whirlpool. The director of The Dark Mirror, Robert C. showcases his roots in German Expressionism, in which the filmmaker uses visuals and expressive performances to showcase fears and desires. As for Robert, this is seen especially with the use of shadows, often behind the twins, insinuating that they are being chased by internal demons. There is also the use of atmospheric lighting, sound distortions, and of course, mirrors. It is so interesting to think about twins, especially in terms of mirrors, and that they are a reflection of one another, which makes it quite fitting that the director has many callbacks to this particular item throughout the picture. If you would like to hear more about the style of German Expressionism, particularly in film, I recommend checking out episode 3 of The Cinematic Crypt, in which I dissected The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. For those interested in checking out another picture from the director, I highly recommend watching the 1944 movie starring Charles Lawton and Ella Raines entitled The Suspect. Charles plays a married man that is dissatisfied with his home life and begins a cordial relationship with a younger lady. When his wife learns of this, she threatens to destroy him, except he has other plans for her that is more. Permanent. I loved this picture and caught it on the Criterion channel. I highly recommend seeking it out and I most definitely will be adding it to my collection. As for the motion picture, The Dark Mirror, it is available to watch with a quick Google search I, however, have a Blu-ray of corpse that I purchased from Arrow Films. It truly is a treat, especially to think that the special effects of having not one, but two Olivia's on-screen was all done prior to the computer age. It was accomplished with a snip and a paste of the film and using a split screen. Of *Corpse*, you can hear more about that in my previous episode, Creepies. The acting from Olivia alone should be enough to entice you to watch. She is sensational. Prior to watching The Dark Mirror, I often associated Olivia with her role as Melanie from Gone with the Wind, in which she plays a meek, demure wife of the hopeless romantic soldier Ashley Wilkes. The dark mirror truly shows the special ability that Olivia possessed to transform on the silver screen. And no matter what character she portrayed, she looked magnificent doing it. She also had a way with words. I loved what she said about former corpse of the show, Betty Davis. I never met Betty Davis. I encountered her. Olivia was quite the lady, and only recently died in July 2020 of natural causes, at the age of 104, and was the last surviving cast member of Gone with the Wind. I am sure, without a doubt, Creepies, she will make an appearance in the crypt once more. Until then, we say, goodnight.
2: Now, if I can have the uh, envelope,
1: Olivia to have
2: And so for the second time, Olivia de Havilland walks up to this platform to get an Oscar. Olivia coming down the aisle, and she too is dressed in very beautiful, white and looking very beautiful. Ladies and gentlemen, I I should describe it. But anyway, as she does go up on the stage, ladies and gentlemen, they can have all their critics' awards and all their magazine polls with all apologies, all of them. But this is really the big leagues, and no one can take away from the glamour and excitement of Oscar night.
3: your award for to each his own, I took an incentive to venture forward. Thank you for this very generous assurance that I have not entirely failed to do so.
0: In my next episode, I will continue my series, Double Trouble, with the 1935 horror picture, The Black Room, starring not one, but two, Boris Karloff's, With a tagline of, kiss him and die, it is sure to be a scream. Until then, don't be a stranger. I want to know what you think. Drop your favorite little gravedigger a line at cinematiccrypt at gmail.com. If you have a suggestion for the show or a corpse you want me to dig up, let me know. You can also reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Cinematic Crypt or reach me via postal mail. Attention Movie John, and that's M O V I E J A W N P O Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA 19145. I will always write back and include a personalized epitaph. Shout out to my Canadian film pal and fellow classic coroner, Dr. Ashley Jane Carruthers, for providing and creating a lot of the tunes you hear on this program. Also thanks to fellow movie genre, the Hollywood hunk, Hugo Marmucci, for the Rad Cinematic Crypt logo. If you can't get enough of my soothing voice, you can find me on other programs that are part of the Movie John podcast network, such as Best Friends Forever. Simply visit moviejohn.com under MJ Pods. And while there, make sure to subscribe to our quarterly print publication. Our upcoming Spring 2023 issue features films inside the squared circle, including guest contributors such as RJ City and Effie. You don't want to miss this. Visit moviejohn.com shop. Lastly, don't forget to follow along with my escapades outside of the crypt by subscribing to my newsletter, Sunday Matinee on Substack. It is now time to close the coffin, and here I leave you to rest with my latest epitaph, my tombstone quote, compliments of Terry Collins. Just remember, I'm with you and will always be with you. Creepies, even when I leave this mortal coil, you can still find me just around the corner hiding in the shadows. I now leave you in the hands of the very evil, very nice, very famous AEW superstar, Danhausen. Goodbye, film pals.
1: Greetings,
4: goblins and ghouls. This is Danhausen. Very nice, very evil. This concludes our trip to the graveyard. Until next descent into the cinematic crypt, be sure to follow your illustrious, spooky host, Batsina Belfrye or better free, whichever you may prefer, on Twitter at Cinematic Crypt, so that you never miss a corpse. Yes, join us next time for another trip six feet under to pry open a coffin of Hollywood's past or be cursed.
3: Perhaps you're sorry you didn't tell the police all you know. Maybe that's what's troubling you. Maybe you're thinking you should do it even now. But that's utterly ridiculous. Such a thought never entered my head. Because if you are, there's the phone, right there. Oh, Terry, stop it. You're talking nonsense. Am I? Of course you are. I hope so. Because if you ever suspected me, I don't know what I'd do. I really don't.